All right, pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for this day, God. Thank you for the opportunity to come before you and worship you, God. This is all about you. This is not about us. Father, this is about what you've done for us and what you've given us and what you continue to do for us and what you've promised us. God, that we can take you at your word because you are who you say you are and you will do what you say you will do. Father, thank you for the gift of your son. Father, thank you for the gift of him dying on the cross so that we can become friends of yours, God, that we can become your children, that we can be adopted into your family, that our sins can be wiped from this earth. God, thank you, and I pray that you ease my nerves today, that you calm me, God. I'm distracted and, and a little nervous this morning, God, that this, this message I have to bring is huge, God, that, that if we grab onto this, we, it will change the way we do life, the way we do Christianity, the way we are, the way we act. God, I pray that you can speak to us, that you can speak through me, that I'm broken and I'm tore apart, that you can build me up into the vessel you need to speak through me. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. All right. Today, I want to talk about what I believe is the root of why us Christians don't act very Christ-like. Okay, the people... Whenever non-believers see us, they see something that looks nothing like Christ. And the reason that is, is we've created this Christian culture where we have our own music, we have our own genre of music, we have this Christian music that we listen to. We have our own restaurant, Chick-fil-A, for those of you that don't know, that's it's a Christian restaurant. For you ladies, we even have our own uh, craft store, Hobby Lobby, it's a Christian craft store which may or may not be around in the future. Uh, we have, uh, I wrote these down because I knew I was going to forget some of them. Where are we? Oh yeah, we have our own holidays. We have our own buildings. And unfortunately, we only hang out with other Christians. You know, we've developed this Christian culture, this bubble, this building here, where we're safe and we're secure and we don't have to deal with the nastiness that's out there. We don't have to deal with the people in the world. The only problem with this is this looks nothing like Jesus. This is nothing like our Savior. He didn't come to redeem the church. He didn't come to redeem us. He came to redeem the world, the sinners. He's our Redeemer. He came to save the ones that are lost. That's why He came and died for us. Not so that we can get into heaven because we're already righteous. We've already been made right. What's left out there are the people who are destined for hell, the people who are dying and lost and going to hell if we don't go out there and talk to them and be like Christ to them. So turn with me to Luke chapter 5, and we're going to look at our foundational scripture for today, the one that we're going to be going back to over and over again, the one that should be the foundation of who we are as Christians. This is kind of an interesting, this is really amazing, the way God decided to choose his disciples, the way he went out and picked the people that he was going to give this message and entrust them to take it to the world, the kind of people that he picked. And this is a story of one of them. Luke chapter 5, starting in verse 27.
<laughs> this is uh, Satan's way of distracting us. <laughs> All right, so let's get back into it. So we've had this experience where God has called us out of where we were, out of the nastiness, and into a life with Him, to become a disciple of Him, to follow after Him and become like His Son and become like Christ, to be more like Him so that the world looks at us and they don't see Clint. The world looks at me and they don't see Clint. The world looks at me and the world sees Jesus. That's what, it's meant. That's what it means to be a Christian. That's what it means to be a follower. <clears throat> Then Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house, and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. So it's been my experience in life that the new Christians, the new believers, make the best witnesses. When you first come to Christ, you're gung-ho about it. You're passionate. You're pumped up. Plus, you've got all these friends that were in the same position you were in life, lost and confused. And now, all of a sudden, you've got an answer for them. You've got a way that you can help them. And it's amazing. And they're not sucked into this Christian culture that we have yet. They haven't started to separate themselves from other people yet. They haven't started to fall into the trap that we're in. And they also have feel the benefit of grace. They feel the benefit of being redeemed a lot more than us who have been a Christian for a while and start to take it for granted. We just, oh yeah, he's going to forgive me no matter what I do, so it doesn't matter what I do. You know, you've got these new Christians that are amazing about this. And so he holds this huge party where he invites all these sinners to come hear Jesus talk about what Jesus came to do for us. And so at this party, but the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to his disciples, why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And so us, in this story, we're the Pharisees. We're the religious ones of the day. We question the wisdom of why Jesus would want to associate with sinners. Why would he want to be with the scum of the earth? Why would he want to be with those people that are horrible and wretched and disgusting? You know, we're just like them. And Jesus answered them. It's more like Jesus answers us. He tells us, It's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. He hasn't come for us who are already redeemed, the righteous, made right with Christ. The whole reason he came and the only way that we can look like him is if we're out there trying to reach the sick, if we're out there trying to reach the lost of this world, not in this Christian culture, not in this bubble where it's safe and we don't have anything to worry about. We don't have to step out of our comfort zone. We don't have to be challenged because nobody in here is going to challenge you. As a matter of fact, when people ask you how you're doing, what's the go-to answer around here? Doing good. Doing well. I'm doing fine. My favorite is wonderful. I'm doing wonderful. When inside, I'm dying and hurting and stuff's going on in my life, but I don't want you to know that because I'm in this culture and I want you to think I've got everything going on and I'm perfect and, you know, God is definitely working in my life. I'm okay, yeah, I'm blessed beyond measure when in reality I'm hurting just like the lost in this world, but I can't let other people see that. So there's something that I tell the youth all the time, and anyone that'll listen, I tell them this the same thing. You know, your friends determine the direction and the quality of your life. 
And I'll say it again. Your friends determine the direction and the quality of your life. And this is so true. People around you influence you and they speak into your life. And if you want to know why you're doing something stupid, take a look at the people that are there with you doing the same stupid things. You usually don't do things on your own and get in trouble on your own. Usually it's because you've got a crowd of people doing stupid things. But there's a flaw in that because there has to be a point where you can influence people, influence the lost without being influenced by them. Okay, and that's what Jesus did. That's how Christ lived his life. And he did that by remaining in God. All right, we're going to flip over to John chapter 15. Beginning in verse 1. Got a little bit of scripture to cover today. Move a little fast. Unless that clock is right. I mean, we got plenty of time. All right, John chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch in me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes, so that it will be even more fruitful. You are already clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Remain in me, and I will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not remain in me, he is like a branch that is thrown away and withers. Such branches are picked up, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you remain in me and my word remains in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be given you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit showing yourselves to be my disciples. So how do we influence the world, influence the lost without being influenced? And it's only through remaining in Jesus. It's only through remaining in Christ. And he wants us to bear fruit. And what does it look like to remain in him? It looks like Christ. It looks just like Jesus. That's what it looks like. You want to know if you're remaining in Jesus? You look like Jesus. To the world, do you look like Jesus? To the world, do I look like Jesus? Or do I look like Clint? Or do you look like one of them? Do I look like one of them? To remain in Him is its a life that is worthy of Him. It's a life that pleases the Father. It's a life that is honoring to Him, that brings glory to Him. Remaining in Him is a marriage that is praiseworthy, a marriage that has lasted through eternity, no matter what's happened. You're never going to get a divorce. Nothing ever is going to get in the way of that. It's uh, being a good co-worker. It's being a good husband, a good wife, a good child, a good student. A good, you know, it's just the things that are good in this world. That's what it means to remain in Him. Let's read on just a little more. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Now remain in my love. If you obey my commands, you will remain in my love, just as I have obeyed my Father's commands, and I remain in His love. I have told you this so that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. My command is this, love each other as I have loved you. Stop there for a second. So if we remain in Christ and we bear fruit, and like I said, the fruit that we bear is 
the life that we live for Christ and reaching the lost. And without him, we have no fruit. They told us in the few verses before that, that if we do not remain in him, then we have nothing. Because on my own, what do I have to offer this world? More junk, more garbage. I'm no better than the lost. On my own, I have nothing. But if I remain in Christ, I have everything that he's given me. And I bear fruit, and God prunes me and cuts out the sin in my life, cuts out the garbage, cuts out all the stuff that doesn't look like Jesus. And I start to look like him, and I become a healthy vine because I'm tapped into the root of Jesus. Because Jesus is our root, and he gives us this water and this nutrients that we need to bear good fruit. And so if I live a life not bearing fruit, then I'm just over here withering and dying for the rest of my life with nothing to show for it, with no fruit bearing no fruit and gaining nothing from it. But if I remain in him, I'm fruitful and I'm reaching the lost. But just like that, he tells us about his love and remaining in him, we can have his love because without Christ, I have no fruit. Without Christ, I have no love for other people. Absent Christ is love for myself. You know, that's what I have to offer is what can I do for me? If I don't remain in him and I'm not receiving his love to pour out to other people, if I don't have his love and remain in him, then I don't love you. I don't love my family. I don't love my wife. Because absent of that is nothing but self-love, self-gratification, self, you know, I worry about me and I sin even more because I don't have his love to pour out to other people. Why would I care about this world? Why would I care about the lost? The reason we care about this world and the reason we care about the lost is because of Christ, because of what he's done for us and what he's given us and that love that he's poured out into us. That's why we love. Let's read a little more. Verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends. If you do what I command... I no longer call you servants, because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I have called you friends. For everything that I learned from my Father, I have made known to you. You do not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. Then the Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. This is my command, love each other. So if we remain in him and we listen to him and we obey his commands daily, not just once a week or twice a week or whenever you feel like praying or whenever you feel like reading the scripture, if we remain in him and abide in him and we set up house right in him, we live in him, everything we do, eat, sleep, breathe, work, whatever we do, we do for Christ. We remain in him. He's given us these commands that we are to follow and remain in him. And the fruit that we bear is everlasting fruit. The fruit that we, we, we're a vine. Okay, People picture a vine out in this world, and it's not in this building, I'll tell you. It's out in the world. The vine is out there reaching the lost. And so we're out there, and vines like to creep, and vines like to climb, and they like to cover everything they can get a hold of. They like to get out there, and you know they're really aggressive. That's what we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to be sitting here dying in this building, lost and just as confused as they are. The only difference is we're, we're forgiven and we're going to go to heaven, but we're not bearing any fruit. And what kind of life is that? What kind of life is living outside of the will of God? Because this is my command. And I love this part because it looks like he's going to give them this huge 
nugget of knowledge, like this huge new commandment, a whole list of things. This is what I want you to do. This is what I command you. Love each other. Because it's what it's all about. Love. Loving other people. Not loving yourself. Because loving yourself leads to sin. And it leads to more of what the world has to offer. Because without love, I can get married. I mean, without Christ, I can get married. But it's not a true marriage because I don't love that other person selflessly. I don't love them 100%. It's a give and take. It's sin. Sin is corrupted. But with Christ, it's perfect. It's love. All right, so now that we know that if we're to go out into this world and not be corrupted by this world, by remaining in Christ, remaining in Jesus as the vine that we're supposed to be, how do we have the power to reach other people? I'm glad you asked me. (laughs) Flip over with me to... It's not that far. It is John chapter 4, starting at verse 7. We're going to look at Jesus living this out for us. We're going to look at this because Jesus lived a life that was pleasing to God, lived a life that remained in God. He remained in Him, and everything He did, every, every word that He said, every action that He had, every miracle that was performed was because that's what God told Him to do. He was remaining in Him, had a quiet time, had a prayer life, studied the Scripture, knew it in and out. And so this is how we are to look like Christ. And this is how we are to, this is how we're to get the power to live that out in this world. Because without Christ, we're nothing. And without His power, we can do nothing. Without the nutrients from the vine, we can do nothing. So John chapter 4, starting in verse 7. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples has gone into town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, You are a Jew, and I am a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And Jesus answered her, If you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. Stop there for a second. So here's Jesus Striking up a conversation with a Samaritan woman. And I wrote this down because I thought it was pretty good. In view of the last two scriptures that we looked at, the last two verses, our foundational one and then abiding in Jesus and remaining in Him, we look at this woman as a sick, right? She's sick. Jesus came to save her. A sick, non-fruit bearer, okay? That's the way we're to view these people is they're sick and they don't bear any fruit. So you can be both, you can be sick and non-fruit-bearing, or you can be either or, sick or non-fruit-bearing. Because there are Christians in here that are non-fruit-bearing, that are just plain straight vines without any leaves and that are withering and dying. And that's where most of us nowadays fall into because of this Christian culture that we've created. And so Jesus is talking to this Samaritan woman, and he's, uh, you know, he's striking up a conversation, and and those people are around us all the time, right? We have those people in our life that are struggling and hurting and needing help. And yet we can't help them because we don't have the power and we don't have the strength. And 
most of the time we're selfish and we're not even aware that they're there and we're not even aware that they need our help. We're not aware that we could give them something to help them. And it's sad. Read a little more with me. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? as did also his sons and his flocks and herds. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give him will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water, welling up to eternal life. And the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. So Jesus offers this wellspring of water that can well up in our life and lead to everlasting. It's an unending source of power, spiritually speaking. Okay, we're dry and we're barren without him. We're nothing without him. And so Jesus offers this woman, and we all know her story. We're not going to read the rest of it. But we all know her story, and we know it well because we've read this story a hundred times. We know her needs and we know what she was wanting from him. This world is full of women just like her, full of men just like her that have needs and wants and their real pain. And it's out there. And we're the answer to their hurting. We're the, we have the answer to give them. So let me, uh, let me illustrate that for you. You didn't think you were going to get out of here without an illustration, did you? <laughs> All right, so it's kind of a surprise here. Do a little magic trick. All right, so let's imagine this is us. This is what we have to offer the world. This is what I have to offer you apart from Christ. This is exactly what I have to give. This is what I can draw on my own experiences, what I have in my sinful heart, what I have in my corrupt life, which is nothing, zero. Can't help you can't even help myself. All right. This is how we live most of our life. And let's imagine that this water here is Jesus, the remaining in him and abiding in him and living in him and this unending supply of water that he has to offer us. The the strange thing is, and I don't know why God set it up this way, he needs our help to help ourselves. Okay? He needs us to do something in this. He has the water, and it's available to us. The thing is, we have to draw that water, and we have to draw it daily. And it's not that strange, because He wants us to rely on Him. He wants us to depend on Him. He wants us to want to abide in Him. He wants us to want to stay vibrant and alive and bearing fruit for His honor and for His benefit and for His glory. And so... There's a relationship, a direct relationship between the amount of time that I abide in him and the amount of water that I have in my life. So let's imagine on I go to church on Sunday. And so I get that much water. And then I'm a good boy, so I go on Wednesday too. And I get that much water. I don't know why I get more on Wednesday than I do Sunday, but I just do. <laughs> and so I have a quiet time. And a little bit of a prayer life. You know, I pray every once in a while when I need his help. A little more. Okay, so I'm getting a little more water. And then I read my Bible like a good boy. And I pray a little more. Okay, so 
if we're being honest with each other, when I pray and when I read my Bible, I might as well be reading the dictionary and talking to the wall because it's not very fruitful. You know, I don't get much out of it because I'm not taking it serious and I'm not abiding in him. I'm just occasionally going and getting a little bit of what I need and then I'm taking off and doing my own thing. And so we have this and this is what we can rely on. I need my notes because I got a few things. And so this is the power that we have to live throughout the day. And for most of us, this is all the power that we have for the week. Because we do this weekly. We go to church Sunday, we go to church Wednesday, and then we just barely pray and read every once in a while. And so this is not what God has to offer us. This isn't the extent of his power. We limit him. Okay? So imagine I go to work and there's an attractive coworker and I need his help. So Oh, okay, good. Now I can I can flee from her. You know, I've got the power. I can do that. You know, I can tap into that power, that unending supply of water. I'm going to be late for work. So I try to come up with an excuse. And, you know, I think, ah, oh, there, was, there was a robber that broke into my house and I had to, you know, stop him. And it only took two minutes, so I'm only two minutes late. You know, you think of stupid things. You know, you got these lies in your life. But you take a drink and you're like, you know, I'm not going to lie. I'm just going to tell the truth. Yeah, I'm stupid. I sat there and watched TV a little too long, so I'm late. Okay, no big deal. Good. I avoided that sin. And then... Here comes Jill walking in wearing the ugliest dress you've ever seen in your entire life, and you just want to run and tell Sarah about what she looks like, and then you, mm. oh, that was a hard one. Whew. I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to gossip. I'm not going to do that. And then you see Bob over there with the new iPhone. You want a new iPhone. Yeah. Why can't I have that iPhone? You know, I'm mad at him for having that iPhone. You know, oh, man. Yep, I'm mad at him. This is stupid. I'm jealous. I want that iPhone. Here comes another person wanting some money. You know, for a good cause, probably. You know, they want to help the people in Haiti. They want to help people in disasters. They want to help. Okay, I should give them money. Nope. Oh, man. Nah, I'm going to keep that for myself. That's another Big Mac. Now I'm good. So without that power, you run without the abiding in him, without remaining in him. You run out of the power before you run out of the temptations. And so I didn't have enough power to even help me. How am I going to have enough power to help you? What if somebody needs some help? I can't help them because I need every bit of this little bit that I have for me. Right? And so what really needs to happen is you need to abide in Christ and you need to abide in Jesus. And then if you do that daily, this is more like what you have to offer daily, not weekly, that little bit that's going to run out. You have... All this water that's going to last, all this unending supply daily because you're abiding in him. You know, and then the same thing happens. All those sins happen. And now, whenever I get up to that jealousy part, you know, where I see that iPad or that iPod, a new iPhone, I'm like, oh, I'm good. I can wait till it's cheaper and I don't really need it anyway, so whatever. You know, and you see that somebody coming up and needing help, you're just like, hmm. Yeah, I can do that. I can help further his ministry. I can help. I can do more, right? So you've got this unending power. And then the other benefit is you've got all this left over in your spirit, all this left over in your life. What are you going to do with that? There's no way. I hope there's no way you can send that much. You can need that much help. If you are, then you need more help than I can give you. But you've got all this power. And now 
you have people in your life that come up to you and somebody needs help with them having a struggle with lust. And you're like, you know what? Let me show you. God helped me and this is how I overcame that. This is how I was able to overpower that kind of greed and that lust. And then you got greed there and, you know, this is how I was able to give. This is how God spoke into my life. And this is living in him and abiding in him and being a part of his his vine and being a part of him and bearing good fruit. And he's able to cut that out of me. And this is how I was able to do that. So I can help other people and I can help you and and I can help you if you can catch. Oh, good catch. And I can help everybody. Here you go, Randy, some water, Tim, some water for you. You know, we're able to help other people, you know, and more than that. Think about how people can get help. Let's use abortion as an example. Apart from Christ, how can you help someone with abortion? You know, how can a sinner talk another sinner out of abortion? You know, divorce. How can a, a sinner talk another sinner out of divorce? You know, you don't have a foundation. You don't, you're not abiding in him. You're not living in him. And so when somebody comes up to you, you're able to help them. Here you go, Josh. Oh, good catch. This is getting a little dangerous here. All right, so without that, with, with the power of Christ, you're able to talk people out of stupid things. You're able to help them. You're bearing fruit. You have all this unlimited supply of water and power that you didn't have before. And you were unable to see people around you. You were unable to help them because you couldn't even help yourself. Because you didn't even have enough of the water, spiritual food, to help yourself. How are you going to help the world? How are you going to care about other people? How are you going to reach the lost and the dying and the needy if you don't have this power, if you don't have this water, if you don't have something to give them? You know, this is the way that we reach the lost. This is the way we reach the dying is it begins in us. It starts in you and it starts in me and it starts with my relationship. Let's read a little more. Skip with me over to verse 31. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. But he said to them, I have food to eat that you know nothing about. Then his disciples said to each other, could someone have brought him food? These guys were really confused at this point. <laughs> it's funny. Because it's just like us. We're confused. And some of this stuff is really confusing. My food, said Jesus, is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So God started something in sending Christ to die for our sins. And he's at this point where he's about ready to start his ministry. And he's about to go out into the world and start bearing the fruit of his father. And so these disciples, they're still a little confused because this is fresh and new to them. This is, this is counterculture. This is what goes against the grain. And this is not what the way people live back then. This is not the way the rabbis were back then. This is not the way the religious people were. And this is more like us. You know, we're confused when God starts to work something, when God starts to do something in this world. And so he was ready to finish his work. Verse 35 do you not say four months more and then the harvest? I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the reaper draws his wage. Even now the har he harvests the crop for eternal life 
so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus, the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. This world is why Jesus came to die for the lost and the hurting, not the people in this room, not this room. Because let me tell you, Satan is just as active in this building, in his in God's people, in us, in the Christians of this world. He's just as active there in the harvesters as he is in the harvest. Okay, Satan is distracting us and he's corrupting the harvesters and he's making us lazy and he's telling us to build this culture where we're safe and comfortable and to stay away from the people who need us. Okay, this is a great lie of Satan that we're not needed out there, that we need to like wait, sit here and wait for people to come to us. How many times have you ever seen a harvest uproot itself and go to the, the silos all by themselves, like walking down the street? It doesn't happen. You have to go out and you have to reap. Okay, this vine that we're supposed to abide in, this vine that we live in, and we'll break it down just a little bit. So the first foundational scripture that we read was that the sick are out there, right? They're outside of these walls, outside of this culture that we've created. And we're supposed to go out there and we're supposed to give them Christ, okay? And then the way we do that is by abiding in the vine, abiding in Jesus, abiding, abiding in Christ, living there, remaining there, drawing from Him, and becoming you know, very fruitful and bearing lots of fruit so that we can creep like vines out into the harvest field because that's where this vine is. The vine, the root is not planted in here in this church, in this building. The root is out there in the harvest field, out there in the world, outside of these walls. And it's creeping among the sinners. It's creeping among the people that need the doctor, the people that need the help, the people who are sick. And so as Christians, we're supposed to be out there in that vine, creeping along with them, rubbing elbows with them, talking to them influencing them without being influenced because now we have this unlimited supply of water because we're abiding in him and we're living like we should and God is pruning us. The great gardener knows exactly what to cut off and when to cut it off, what season to cut it off and how to cut it off and building us to be this fruit bearing amazing plant out there that other people, when they look at you, that fruit is attractive. That fruit draws them into, the, into you and into Christ. Where you can give them this water. Where you can give them this living water that will bring them into the vine. They'll be grafted onto the same vine, inheriting the exact same inheritance that we have. And able to go out and be pruned and become fruitful themselves and multiplying. This was the design and this was the plan that God had for His people. That we go out and we multiply that we take this into the world, that we don't leave it here in this room, that we don't leave it here and waste our potential, the potential that Jesus has to reach this world, the potential to reach the lost. It's being lost on us. The harvest is out there and ready. The sad thing is, the harvesters are not ready. We're sitting here and doing nothing and living in this culture that we've created that's safe and comfortable and easy. That is not what Christ intended. That is not why Jesus came and died on the cross. That is not how we're going to reach this world. That is not how we reach the lost. Because when they see that and they see us, all they see is somebody who is judgmental and selfish and 
just sick and nasty and just as ugly as they are. You know, they see us on that vine. Yeah, we're a part of it, and we call ourselves Christians, but we're corrupt, and we're seedless, and we're barren, and we're withering and dying just like they are. We have nothing to offer them. But if we remain in Him, and we abide in Him, and we draw on that power that He has to give us freely, offers you, no matter what, just like this woman at the well, Christ approached her. He approached us. He said, I have something to offer you. If you only knew the potential that you have in you to reach other people. And if you remember the rest of this story, she ran home as soon as she found out what he had to offer. She figured out he was the Messiah. And she did the same thing Levi did. She went and told all her friends. Guess what? There's a man out there that knows me. Not knows of me. Not has heard of my reputation because I have a horrible reputation and everybody in this town knows me. He really knows me for who I am. And he really sees the hurt and the pain. And he offers relief from that. And he offers this water that will well up inside of me and lead to everlasting life. Lead to something eternal. Something that's going to last forever and not just wither away in a different season. Something that's not temporary. Something, a well that's going to dry up. Because what I've been doing is getting me nowhere. What he offers me is going to lead to everlasting She went and told all her friends, and they all came running because that sounded attractive to them. They saw the fruit. Even though she was a brand new convert, even though she had just believed in Christ that very minute and took off running, she had more fruit than that whole town had to offer. She had more fruit than most of us have to offer because she was excited and she was passionate about it. Where's our passion? Where's our desire to do God's will? Where's our passion for this water? Because this is more satisfying than anything this world has to offer. This is more powerful than anything you can gain from your friends, your job, your marriage. This is more important than anything in this world. And yet we don't tap into that well. We are over here digging our own cisterns and praying for rain that it'll come to us. That it'll come to this building. That the lost will come to us. They'll see, oh, there's a church. I should stop. It's not going to happen. That's not how the gospel was spread. That's not how it began. That's not why Jesus picked those disciples. He didn't pick religious people because he knew they were already in that culture. They were already stuck in where they were. They were stuck in the mud and not going anywhere. He picked people who had occupations that dealt with other people. He picked fishermen. He picked tax collectors who were sinners. And everybody hated tax collectors. And that was something new that a rabbi would say, you know what, give up what you already have and come with me. Because Levi had a lot. Tax collectors in that day, they were the richest people. They were the most corrupt people. They were the scum of the earth in the Jewish people's eyes. They were horrible people. But that's who Jesus chose to further his kingdom. People like you and I. People who have nothing to offer on our own. Because that's the way God wants it. He wants all the glory. He wants all the honor. And He wants all the recognition for it. Because He wants people to see you as just as broken and confused and lost as they are. But you have something different. You have something to offer. For some reason, you have this very attractive fruit that you're bearing. For some reason, you have something to give them. And they want it. They want it bad. That's the model Jesus had for us. That's the way a Christian is supposed to look like Christ. Not what we've turned it into. And don't get me wrong, this is great. We need this. This helps us be fed. This helps us draw water. But it's not enough to just do it occasionally. 
Not enough to just do it once a week, twice a week, pray whenever I need his help, because that's not a relationship. That's not a relationship. That's someone taking advantage of it. And we read in here that Jesus wanted to be our friends and have a relationship with us. He came so that we can move from being an enemy of God to being a friend of God. He came so that we can move from being an enemy and fighting against God and helping Satan to becoming a friend of God and helping and working along Christ and doing what he wants us to do in this world and reach the lost. That's why he came. That's why we're supposed to be different from this world. That's why we're supposed to draw from him every day, not just once or twice a week and twice on Tuesday. I mean, it makes no sense the way we have our spiritual life, the way we draw from this well that we have. It's unending. It's not going to run out. You cannot draw enough water and you cannot give enough water away that it's going to run out. There's no way that you can outgive God's love for us. There's no way that you can out his grace for us. There's no way you can do anything to fall out of his grace. All you have to do is remain in him and have a relationship with him and abide in his love and pour out that love onto this world that needs that love. Because the way we're doing it now, we're barely drawing enough for us and we can't see the needs and the pain on other people's faces without abiding in him, without remaining in him, without being in him. Now, there's a harvest out there ready to be harvested. And we're sitting in this building and we're sitting in this culture that we've created that benefits no one but us, fellow Christians. It's about time that we tap into that power, that we tap into that well that we have and we get out of this room and we take this to the world. Because it's of no benefit for us. It's going to sit around on a table in bottles because in this room we're not, we're fake. We're not real with each other. We don't tell each other about our needs. We don't even know, I don't even know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what's going on in the people in this room's life. How am I going to care about the people out there who are not my friend? Because Christ died for us, his friends. And before we were his friends, before we accepted that grace, we were his enemy. So Romans tells us that we were enemies of God. And so Christ, you know, he said, no greater love has any man than this, that he lays down his life for his friends. Christ did more than that because we were not his friends in the beginning. Before we accepted his grace, we were his enemies. And yet he still died for us. And yet he still died for us. He laid down his life for his mortal enemy, somebody who's working against him, someone who hates him because it's our sin nature to be against God. But he died for us. Okay, because it's really easy. You know, I can tell you right now, I can lay down my life for my family. Any one of you I would die for. My wife, a piece of cake. Nobody, I'd take a bullet for her any day. Most of the time. No, not really. I'd do it all the time. But seriously, you can lay down your life for people you know, people you love, people you care for. How could you do it for a stranger? Someone, you know, say that, you know, Jeffrey Dahmer was going to be put to death. Would you take his place? Would you step in for a mass murderer? Would you jump in there and say, you know what? I'll do this. I got this. Let him live. I'll take his punishment. No, you wouldn't. But you know who would? Christ. Jesus did that for each and every one of us. And it's going to waste because the people who are supposed to get that message out, the people who are supposed to bring that to the world, 
are too busy sitting here in this Christian culture and soaking up the water in this, this club Fred that we have here, this society that we have, this you know members only, this exclusive club that we've created. It's not about that. It wasn't even about the church. Jesus took every opportunity he could to make fun of the religious leaders of the time, to sh- put them to shame, to show that they were worth nothing. They had nothing to offer this world. But Christ came to die for the sinners and to reach the lost and to reach them through us. And so it's time to tap into that water. It's time to tap into that relationship with Him and go out into this world and reach the lost to reach the people around you. It's time to get up and take action. It's time to step out of your comfort zone and step into this world. Pray with me. Gracious Heavenly Father, thank You for this gift Thank you for the opportunity to abide in you, to remain in you, to draw from you as the vine, as the the root, and us as the branches, us reaching out to the world and bearing fruit and reaching the lost, the people you came to die for, the people you came to redeem. Father, thank you for this unending supply of spiritual water, this unending life that is in us that we can give to the world. Father, I pray that you give us the strength and the courage to reach out into this world, to branch out, to get out of this building, to get out of this culture that we've created. Father, I pray all this in your son's great name. Amen. Tell you about a cure If you told me you